there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. All esotericism is about letting a ray of light into our inner darkness. I don't care what people call it. If you want to call it Sufism, if you want to call it Gnosticism, if you want to call it Kabbalism, whatever, whatever you want to call it, any esoteric teaching is about one thing. It's about letting a ray of light into our inner darkness, my inner darkness, your inner darkness. In the world, everybody knows how to fix what's wrong, except the people whose job it is to fix what's wrong. Have you ever noticed that? You know how to fix what's wrong with the country, with the world. But the president doesn't, the Senate doesn't, the Congress doesn't, the representatives don't. Nobody, the judges, the Supreme Court, they don't. Nobody knows except you and whoever agrees with you, of course, whoever you talk to. And they go, well, that's a good idea. We should, we should make you president. You ever heard that? Well, if you haven't, you're probably lucky. How can that be? Why is it we can't see the solution? What is our problem when we're in the position of needing to fix something, to see what's wrong with something, to adjust something so that it works better? Why is it that we can't see, but everyone else can? Why is it that you can see what needs to happen, but the President of the United States can't? Do you think it's because you can't really see what needs to happen? I doubt that. I'm just not the President, so I'm not identifying with what he's identified with. So it's a matter of identification, then? And sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's a matter of identification. We're identified, and because we're identified, we can't see. In Luke chapter 11, verses 34 through 36, this little bit of esoteric wisdom. The lamp of your body is your eye. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you may not be darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it shall be wholly illumined, as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. The body that is spoken about in this passage is not the physical body, because if it was the physical body, it wouldn't make any sense at all, would it? How can your physical body be full of light because your eye, so there's light at the bottom of your foot because it's coming in your eye? It doesn't make any sense. But if you look at it esoterically, and you look at it like what the man is actually talking about, then you start to realize that he's talking about your internal world. He's talking about your psychological body, which is a very real body. You have a body of thoughts and a body of feelings. You have a body of attitudes and a body of beliefs. And they're very real. They're substantial. They're palpable. Now, most people don't pay much attention to them. And even when they do, they can maybe feel it, but they don't know what they're feeling. And so it really stresses or proves his point. The lamp of your body is your eye. What eye? Well, the inner eye. That's what eye. When your eye is clear, when your inner eye is clear, when there's nothing obstructing its view, your whole body also is full of light. But when it's bad, when there's something that it's not working or you don't have it facing in the right direction or you don't have it open or you've got something in front of it, your body also is full of darkness. Again, we're talking about your psychological body. We're talking about your internal world. We're talking about the body of your thoughts, the body of your feelings. 
the body that is formed where the emotional and the intellectual bodies meet. It's kind of like if you take, you remember those uh, pretzels, the three ring kind of pretzels, they have three, three loops. If you take three circles and take, for example, the emotional center, and let's just imagine that it's a circle, and then you take the intellectual center, and we'll imagine that that's a circle as well, and then you take the instinctive center, and you imagine that that's a circle as well, and you take those three circles and you bring them together, where they meet will create another circle that is made up of all of those three. And well, it may not be a circle, but it'll, it'll create another space that is made up of those other three, where all of those three meet. And this is the way I like to look at the psychological body. I like to look at the psychological body as this thing that is formed when these other things all come together. So when your thoughts and your feelings and your instincts all come together, it forms something. It forms a body. And this is how I like to think of the, of the psychological body about which he's speaking. Mostly, this part of us is in darkness. This is our inner darkness. The ray of light that must penetrate it is, of course, consciousness. We talk about this all the time because we need to constantly be reminded that this is what we're here for. This is our purpose. This is why we are occupying space in air, why we are on the surface of this globe, why we were born, why we eat, why we wake up in the morning, not to get the things that we think we want in a life way. This man also said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. Don't worry about all those things. You just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things will be yours as well. They'll be added to you. Don't worry about those things. Make your first priority this awakening, this self-development. And as I said, we need to be reminded of this all the time because the world is constantly assaulting and assailing us in this other way, trying to drag us away from that. It's trying to continue to keep us believing that we're here for the world and not vice versa. The world is here for us, to support us in awakening. That's what these things are for. But the world has a different idea. The world has an idea that if it can hypnotize us and keep us asleep or keep us in a stupor, then it can feed off of us. It can take whatever energy that we would be giving to awakening and it can use it to further its own purposes. That's our condition. And we need to be reminded of that constantly because we forget that. Because the hypnotism of life is so powerful that it puts us back into this stupor, this waking stupor that the work calls waking sleep, that we call consciousness, that we call being awake. After a while, it's like, yeah, 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 I've heard all this before. So you stop listening. Right. And what that means is you are losing your valuation. You are losing your edge. It doesn't mean that the message isn't important, but it means that you've been taking it in intellectually. When you're taking it in intellectually and you're not applying it practically, it's not making any difference in you. You're not awakening. You're not transforming. You're just adding intellectual knowledge in the intellectual center. You're putting the work in the intellectual center. So it's falling into the formatory apparatus. When that happens, you get full. When you're full, you stop eating. You stop listening. You stop doing the work. You stop reading the books. Because you're full. Because instead of emptying your cup by drinking it and getting it inside of you, you just see it running over and you say, okay, well, stop pouring. Which is the dumbest thing you can do. The dumbest thing to do is say, stop pouring. What you need to do is start drinking, start eating. What you need to do is start practicing this work at that point. Rather than pushing the work away, we need to start practicing it. But that's not what we do. 
This work divides man into conscious and mechanical humanity. We belong to mechanical humanity and need to strive to become more conscious. But I've been in this work for 30 years. How can I belong to mechanical humanity? Are you saying that you're fully conscious? Well, yes, I am. Then I'm saying that you're fully in imagination. If you think you're fully conscious, then I'm saying you are fully in imagination. Well, then are you saying you're fully conscious? No, I'm not saying I'm fully conscious. Well, then how can you tell me I'm not? What's easy? You're here. And someday, if you're lucky, something will snap you out of that stupor you're in now where you imagine that you're conscious. And it might be just becoming more conscious for a moment. But really, this is about the need to strive to become more conscious. I'm not asking anyone to reach full consciousness today. I don't want to burden people with that. What I do want to do is encourage them to make efforts to become more conscious, just simply more conscious than you are, not more conscious than anyone else in the room, not more conscious than me, just more conscious than you are. That's all. Just strive to become a little bit more conscious to let another light ray inside of you, to let it fall on something that you haven't seen recently. This begins in earnest when we start to become more conscious to ourselves of ourselves. This trick is not to become more conscious to ourselves. You're pretty conscious to yourself. You know now when you're negative. You know when you're happy. You know when you're sad. You know when you're depressed. You know when you're this or that. But becoming more conscious to ourselves of ourselves so that we actually begin to see ourselves that we're conscious of now objectively. In other words, not from inside yourself, but from outside yourself. Now we feel ourselves from the inside. What we're aiming at doing is feeling ourselves from the outside. And I don't mean from the five senses. I mean from outside of our identification, outside of this is I, I feel this, I think that. Outside of that, it thinks this, it thinks that, it feels this, it feels that. This method is important because it affects the quality of the light. Impersonal, uncritical self-observation establishes what this work calls observing I. Every once in a while, I like to go back to the bare-bones basics of this because intellectually, we have this way of getting too many parts all jumbled together. And then we start collecting parts. Have you ever walked into somebody's house, they were a collector? I walked into somebody's house one time, they were a collector, and they collected a lot of interesting things. Insulators that they have on telephone wires and electrical wires. They collected insulators and they had insulators all over the house. They had shelves built all around all the walls where they had all these insulators displayed. And then they collected something else and they had those all here. And they collected something else and they had all the... It was interesting, but it was a lot of clutter. Now, you may think, well, but it wasn't clutter to that person. Okay, whatever. It was a lot of clutter. It was a lot to appreciate. Now, maybe each piece meant something when you put it there, but then the piece that came after that meant something, and then the piece that came after that meant something, and then the piece that came after that meant something. And what happens is you've just got so much energy, and that energy now is spread between two things, four things, nine things, 25 things, 100 things. And the energy is not quite as strong on any of them as it was when there were fewer things. This work is like that. What happens intellectually is we get so many of these ideas in our head, we imagine that we know what it means. We imagine that we're superior. We imagine that we have grown, we have transformed, we are different because we have now collected more stuff in this space that we call the intellectual center. So this room that we call the intellectual center, this collecting room, this display case, we've now got it full of all these wonderful ideas. And now we imagine that that means something. 
But of course, it doesn't mean a thing other than you've got all this clutter in this space now. And if you do want to find anything or pick anything up, it's going to be more difficult now than it was when you first started. So I like to go back and throw a lot of stuff out and just get back to the basics of the things that are really important. Observing eye is really important. Awakening is really important. Knowing that you're not one, that you're not awake, is really important. These things are very important, and they can't be talked about too much, unless all you're doing is talking about them. And then any talking about them is too much. You need to be practicing it, doing something about it, striving, as it were, making effort to let a ray of light into yourself where the light wants to go, but you don't want it to go. It's funny, I was talking to Jess the other day, and we started to talk. He, he let something slip. I think he let it slip for two reasons. I don't think he really let it slip. I think he wanted to get it out in the open. But then at the same time, I think there were some eyes that just didn't want it to come out in the open. So as we talked, I started to question him, and it was like pulling teeth. He was sitting there. He didn't jump up and run out of the room, but it wasn't easy to get the information out of him. When I finally got the information out of him, then we talked about it a little bit. Then I think Curtis came over and And I said, well, why don't you tell Curtis? He said, no, he was not ready to bring it into the light. And this is how we are. The light comes and it knocks on our door and it says, look, let me in. And we're afraid. And we say, no, he won't understand. No, they won't understand. No, that doesn't make me look good. We have all these reasons why we won't let the light in. But you've got to see it just as this. You are refusing to allow the light in. You are refusing consciousness. You are refusing a ray of light into the darkness that you are. You are refusing transformation. And if you look at it that way, you're starting to put it in perspective, in its proper perspective. It's a matter of life or death. This is why you're here. You are here to let the light in. Every time you take an opportunity and block it off, you take that opportunity to let the light in and you put something over the window or you plug the hole with your thumb or whatever you do, Every time you've done that, you strengthen the darkness and you weaken observing eye, the one that wants to let the light in. It may seem like a small thing, but there are no small things when it comes to the light. So we have observing eye, what the work calls observing eye. And this enables us to slowly become objective to ourselves. And when I say slowly, I mean slowly. Our feeling of eye begins to change very slowly. We just start to feel different about who we are. And at first, that difference is worse. At first, that difference is, I don't like this. I don't like who I am. In fact, I hate who I am. I don't want to be this person. This is a necessary step. Now, a lot of people will say, well, you should never feel that way. I don't say you should never feel any way. I say, if you feel that way, then acknowledge it, accept it, and let it go. I don't think you should resist any of that. So if you feel like killing yourself, I think that what you should do is you should acknowledge that. I feel like killing myself. I'm so depressed. I'm so down about myself that I feel like killing myself. I feel like I'm so worthless There's and there's no hope. It would just take so long to fix me, to get me straightened out, to get this cleared up, that there's just no hope. So I would just rather die. Then I think you need to tell yourself the truth about that. I think you need to honestly face that. Just look at that. Accept it. That's what I think people need to do. I am not one to tell you to resist your feelings, to resist your thoughts. I think Jesus said, resist not evil. Resist not an evil man. Resist not evil. And I think that's still good advice. Esoterically, I think that's wonderful advice. So as our feeling of I begins to change, the first thing that happens is it changes worse. As imaginary I and the illusion starts to be stripped away by the light, so we begin to see through our lies. We begin to feel badly about ourselves because we're still identified with what we're seeing. And we thought we were so wonderful, and now we find out we're not quite as wonderful as we thought we were. And that's hard for us because we're still identified with that. But slowly, we begin to come out on the other side of that if we continue to let the light in. 
we see more and more things about ourselves, but eventually we start to pull away from what we're seeing. We start to slowly see it as separate from ourselves. We start to slowly see that what we're looking at is not really us. We don't know what really us is, but what we're looking at isn't the real I. So there's something else. And our feeling of I just slowly, gradually begins to change. And it changes so slowly that it's hardly noticeable. But one day, we do notice it. One day, we do notice that something's different. That the way things used to bother us, the way this specific incident used to bother us, doesn't bother us anymore. The way that specific incident used to have the power to do this or to do that to us, to make us feel this way or that way, or act in a certain way, no longer has that power. And so our feeling of I begins to change. The names the work gives to the steps leading upward are observing eye, which collects around itself all the eyes that wish to awaken. How many eyes are there in a person that wish to awaken? Well, we don't really know. But when we start to put some energy into, put some effort into awakening, then we find that there are a lot of eyes that really don't want to awaken and that fight and resist and make up all kinds of stories and lies and will go to war. But there are other eyes that just slowly, quietly begin to collect. They're not big, they're not powerful, they're not mouthy, but they're there. And they start to collect around this central idea of this work. And this is called observing eye. As this observing eye begins to collect all these eyes, there's an inner arrangement that kind of takes place. It's like a coagulation where these eyes that wish to awaken, and there may be eyes that really wish to awaken, and eyes that, well, okay, maybe that's a good idea, that aren't really that interested, but they'll go along for the ride. Do you know what I mean? Because sometimes you get into those eyes and you think, I thought I wanted to do this more, but I don't really want to do this now. Those are eyes that they're just along for the ride or that think maybe there's something in it for them. There's a lot of that. But that's okay, too. The enemy of my enemy is my friend in this war. So if it's for you, it's not against you. It's another thing Jesus talked about. You remember the disciples came to him and they said, well, this man was casting out demons in your name, but we stopped him. He said, well, don't do that. So anybody who's doing that isn't going to be too quick to put me down. So leave him alone. If he's not against you, he's for you. But he wasn't talking about people in the outside world. He was talking about this inner world, this psychological kingdom of ours, where these light rays need to start falling, where we need to start scraping away a little bit of the mud, a little bit of the darkness, and allow little rays of light to fall inside of us in places that we've kept hidden for whatever reason. So this inner arrangement then leads up, and its completion is Deputy Steward. Now, again, I want you to look at it like a flight of stairs. The work says, well, this first step we're going to call observing eye. And here on this step, all these eyes that want to waken will all begin to be attracted to this observing eye. They'll begin to collect around it. And then this will form deputy steward, which will just naturally move right into the next step. Now, this stage grows stronger as we see through inner perception the truths that are contained in esoteric ideas. See, when we hear, when we first start to hear esoteric ideas, magnetic center attracts us. We don't know why we just say, that sounds right. There's something inside of us that resonates with it. It sounds right. But then through inner perception, after we work for a while, the truths start to become real. We start to actually see them. We start to actually realize that not only does it feel right, it is right. And you know why it's right. And then we start to have some understanding. We, we can take some of these ideas and they begin to fit together. We think, well, yes, I've heard this for years, but now I understand it better. Now I see how it works. I've always felt that it would work, but now I see how it works. This is a totally different stage. 
We study, we reflect, we ponder, and we practice the teachings as we're able. You may be able to do something that you're not able to do, but you may be able to do something that you're not able to do. We don't know exactly how it will be. There is no specific, it's got to happen this way. But there are some general rules that we can be aware of and that we can watch for. Now, this can take a long time. Study, reflect, ponder, practice, all of these teachings, all of these things that we're finding out. And my advice is to approach this lightly. I've noticed that when we approach it heavy-handed, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. If we grab it hard, there's usually a kickback, and we'll get knocked back. But if we just approach it slowly and quietly and patiently, hold it lightly, just allow it to lie in your hand without grasping it, it is much more powerful because it remains free. It's when you start to try and own it, when you start to try and control it, that you lose your grip on it. It will get free of you, and you'll lose it. But basically what you do is you squeeze it out of your hand in the same way that if you have your hands cupped and you have water in your hand, when you close your hands and try and hold that water, you'll, you'll lose the water. This is the same thing. If you just leave your hands cupped, if you just allow a place for it to rest, it'll stay. It's when you try and grasp it that you lose it. At some point, we then begin to get to attract flashes of something from somewhere higher inside of ourselves. The work labels this new something, these flashes, and what's happening. The work labels this steward. So first we have observing eye that attracts all of these other eyes that want to work out of our fragmented personality. And some of them are good and some of them are bad. It's like the net that was thrown into the sea and all this huge draft of fishes pulled out of the sea. And then the fishermen sit on the beach and they open the net and they go through the fish. And they find some good fish and some bad fish. And the good fish they keep and the bad fish they throw away. And this is essentially what this is with the eyes. Observing eye throws a net into the personality. And it pulls up these eyes, all these different fragments of our personality. And it sorts through them. And it finds that some of them are good and some of them are not so good. And so the not so good ones go this way and the good ones we keep. In other words, the ones that are for us. They may drop away later. They may be for us now, but when we go too far, it's like, okay, that's too far, that's not enough. Back to our example with Jess, it was okay, Jess had eyes that were willing to tell me. When it came time to tell somebody else, it was like, no, that's too much. Too much light, no. And so they'll only go with us so far. So we have eyes that want to awaken, but they'll only go down the road this far. And after that, they're afraid to go any further. They won't go any further. They dig their heels in, they quit. And for you to go further, you've got to let go of those eyes. But they were good eyes that helped me. You've got to let go of those eyes if you want to go further. You've constantly got to be willing to go with better eyes. And there are always, no matter what you think, there are always better eyes. No matter how wonderful you think the eyes you're hanging out with are, there are always better eyes than that. So the work labels this stage steward and says that behind it is real eye. Please don't become too attached to the labels because that will cause you to lean too much upon the system. I don't think it's ever a good idea to lean too much upon the system. I think the system should be scaffolding. I think that it should guide you. It should direct you. It should strengthen you in ways. But I don't think it should enclose you. I think that the system, in order to work, must stay open-ended. Now, that's not what you'll hear in other places. And I'm sorry about that, but that's just not how it appears to me. It appears to me that if it stays open-ended and flexible, that it continues to grow and that you can continue to grow with it. But that when it is closed off, it becomes religious, it becomes too structured, 
and it starts to die. And I know that there's two ways of looking at that. Some people say, but the tradition is what keeps it going. And I said, well, that's true. And at the foundation, that's exactly as it should be. But as it goes up, it needs to become thinner and thinner and thinner because if you have the same weight and the same rigidity going up, it will collapse upon itself. That's my personal sense of that, and you can do whatever you want with it. I'm not here to tell you it has to be this way, and if you don't do it this way, then you're doing it wrong. That's exactly what I'm trying not to do. That's exactly what I hear in other places, and I don't think that's right. Real eye cannot appear when we're in a state of inner darkness. Of course, this doesn't stop us from imagining real eye. We imagine real eye all the time. As a matter of fact, the eye that you call you, the eye that you call I, is what you think is real eye. And that is real eye, real imaginary eye. There is an imaginary eye, and there's an imaginary imaginary eye. And the imaginary imaginary eye is the one that we make up to observe. But real imaginary eye, we call that real eye. It's a fine distinction. It sounds like double talk. It sounds like words. But if you're paying attention, you begin to see something about yourself. You begin to see that the false personality is so devious, so cunning. It's like a wild beast. It's so cunning. It knows every trick in the book, and it can wiggle out of almost anything. And that's fine. That's not a problem for us because we're not trying to enclose it. All we're trying to do is put the light on it. That's all we're trying to do. Nothing else. We're not trying to get rid of it. We're not trying to obstruct it. We're not trying to hobble it. All we're trying to do is put the light on it. The light is what will make it passive, not anything that we do. And that must be remembered. With our finite minds, the work can only be viewed from different angles and not as a whole. It's like a big house. You can walk around it. You go around to the back. You see things you didn't see from the front. And the work is that big. It's that huge. It's something you have to walk around. It's something you have to become familiar with. You have to get above it and below it and around it and under it and in it. And it takes time. And as you take that time, you are rewarded for your efforts. But because we have finite minds, we can only see this much at a time. We only have this much vision. Our vision is finite. So what we see has limits. And the only way to change those limits is to move to a different position. So we need to move to different states inside of ourselves so that we can see the work from different angles, different points of view, and so that we can see ourselves from different angles and different points of view. Though most wish to rush to objective consciousness, which is connected with real I, we linger out of necessity, and our necessity is to make ourselves more conscious to ourselves, of ourselves. So the reason that we're not rushing ahead, the reason that we're not more knowledgeable, the reason that we can't put the Enneagram on a board and have everybody just immediately tell us everything about it in this group is because we are out of necessity. We are lingering here. We are lingering here on the practice field. We are lingering here after hours, as it were, to make sure that the next step that we take, whatever that step may be, is a sure step is a well-founded step because the step that we're standing on will support us. And it's easy to go running ahead, but you run the risk of having it all in imagination, having it all in the intellectual center, and having no real footing for yourself in the practical realm. And so that's why we linger. We're identified with ourselves. What this means is we're not conscious. We are identified with ourselves. I think that I am real I. I think that this person talking is real I. This is what I think. I know intellectually that that's not true, but why should I lie about it? If I say, I know that's not true, the truth is, I don't know that. The truth is, I have intellectually accepted that. But I don't have that distinction in my being. I have it in my intellectual center, but not in my being. Once you think you've got it in your being, it's tougher to convince yourself that you haven't. So that's why we linger here. 
let's say you could walk on water. Imagine that you could walk on water. But let's say you don't believe you can. You don't think you can. And so you've got this little swimming pool, and it's only two feet deep. And you practice walking on that, and you practice every day. But you don't think you can. And so you find that your feet go under the water. And you walk across the pool, but of course you can walk across the pool because it's only a couple feet deep. But you find that your feet are getting wet. You're not really walking on water. And and so you're confirmed in the fact that you can't walk on water. But let's say someone else imagines that they can walk on water and they really can't. Which person do you think is going to be able to walk on water? The one who imagines that they can and can't really or the one who thinks they can't but can really? Okay, and so these two people are in a boat. And they're out in the ocean, and it's not two feet deep. And the boat capsizes, and one walks away, and the other one sinks. And the one who walked away thought, I can't walk on water. How is this happening? It must be a miracle. And the other one thinks, you stole my ability to walk on water, as he sinks. And this is what I'm talking about. So we linger here in the wading pool. But you know what? When you do get in the water, you will do what you can do. And your surprise will be that you can do more than you thought you could do. Whereas the people who run ahead, their surprise will be that they can do less than they imagined they could do. Only light rays will build consciousness, thereby separating us from the darkness of being identified. Because we're identified, we are in darkness. Identification is our darkness. Letting in some light rays is going to separate us from our darkness by giving us a light space and a dark space. And you will, if you're letting the light in, you will be behind the dark space. So the dark space will be out in front of you so that you can see it. As it is, we're in the dark space. We can't see it because we're in it. But the light gives you the option of getting behind the dark space so that you can see it. This is the power of this work. This is the power of positioning. And this is the power of separation is the power of positioning. You have positioned yourself apart from that which you have imagined that you were. And this is where the power of the work comes in. This is where it really begins to happen. And this is when consciousness is built. Because we are self-developing, we can only grow through our own will, through our own feelings, through our own understanding, through our own consent, and most of all, through our own perception that a thing is so. You can hear me week after week tell you about this, but it will not do you any good until it is yours, until it is your perception. And I guarantee you, that when you start to tire of hearing it, it's not because it's your perception. It's because you have a block and you're not getting it to your perception. You're still imagining that this person is going to get you there. That person is not going to get you there. You have to get you there. It's not enough to want to grow. If it were enough to want to grow, everybody on this planet would be grown. Everybody on this planet would be mature. Everybody on this planet would waken. It's not enough. How can that be enough? It's like standing in front of a door and repeating some magic words like abracadabra and expecting the door to open. If we wish to grow, we must try to see into the darkness of ourselves. You must peer into the darkness. But I don't know what's in there. What if it bites? What if it does? Do we do that? No, we don't peer into the darkness of ourselves. What happens is a flashbulb goes off. It startles us and we see something. And we turn away. And it takes us a while to get used to the darkness again because we've got spots in front of our eyes. But we remember because it burned it into our consciousness and we remember what we saw. Oh, please burn that image out of my mind. I don't want to see myself that way. Do you remember this? Okay, good. Where you get a a conscious shock. It's a flash. You see something about yourself and it's horrible. It's like, oh, make it go away. And it does go away. But then if you're fortunate and if you continue to desire to wish, I wish to remember myself, it happens again. 
and you don't have any control over it. It's just a flashbulb that goes off. It's like, what happened? And then you see again. And then you learn to look. When those bulbs go off, you learn to look. And then you learn to peer into the darkness of yourself with confident expectation, expecting that there will be a ray of light, expecting that you will be able to see something, and expecting that you will now have the strength to face it. This is how this work builds. We see into the areas we look at all the time in ourselves. How many times have you seen that you love negative emotions? Plenty. And we keep seeing that. But which negative emotions do you love? Which are your favorite negative emotions? Which are the ones you love the most? In a scale from 1 to 10, list your 10 favorite negative emotions in order of importance to you, in order of your love for them. Have you done that? No. Why? Well, because it's just enough to know that we love negative emotions. But it's not enough. You see, it's not enough. That was then. This is now. Now more is required. More has been given. Now more is required. The problem is, is that it's too discomforting. We look at it. We feel discomforted. Ugh, it's horrible. Then we become accustomed to it. And we say, okay, I can live with the fact that I'm a liar. Okay, I can live with the fact that I'm a violent person. Okay, I can see that. I've accepted that. It's taken me years to get there, but now I see it. Okay, and now we're comfortable again. And now we don't want to get out of that comfort zone. But what I'm saying is, now is the time to press. Now is the time to begin again. Now is the time to open the window, to let the light in. Now is the time to let more light in. Now is the time to be peering deeper into the darkness of yourself. The work gives us a clue. It says, try to observe your songs, but we have no songs to sing. The work says, try again. That's one thing the work always says. It always says, try again. No matter what you came up with. So let's say I say, well, I want you to look into yourself and tell me what you see. And you look in and you, and you say, I don't see anything. Well, try again. Okay, so you try again. But then someone else says, well, I see this and I see this and I see this and I see that. And I said, that's very good. Now try again. No matter what it is you come up with, the work's going to say try again. Because there's more. And it's up to us to let the light into every part of us. Every part of that darkness. So the work says try to observe yourself. Try to listen. Try to notice yourself. Try to hear what you're saying. How many times in a day do you do that? You don't do it very often if you do it at all every day. When do you really listen to yourself? When you're not listening to yourself, you're asleep to yourself. You're in darkness. When you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth, it's a very strange feeling. It's a very strange feeling because we're not accustomed to that. We're not accustomed to hearing our words. So when I say, try to observe your songs, did you say you never sing? I've had that happen. People, I don't, I don't do that. I don't, then what are you doing here? This is for people who sing. This work is for people who sing. This work is for the chorus. This work is, this work is for the soloists. This work is for the choir. This work is for us. This work is for us, the people who do sing. The people who don't sing, then all I can say to them is try to hear what you're saying. When you say, I don't sing, try to hear that because you need to hear that. We have a few songs that we sing, but we're not aware of them. They're the Muzak. You remember what Muzak is. It's recorded light background music played through speakers in the public, some public area. And if you listen to it long enough, it disappears. In other words, you're just taking it in, but you're not conscious of it. It's just there. These songs that we sing are the music of our own personal life. We take them with us everywhere we go. They're not quite in the open. We sing them softly to ourselves all day. And they're always negative because they arise out of the negative part of the emotional center. But we don't think they're always negative. But I like that song. Uh-huh, yeah. So, yeah, right, so your girlfriend left and your dog died and your pickup truck's got four flat tires, and, but that's not negative. Well, no, it's true. <laughs> it's, blah, blah, blah. you know, we don't see it as negative anymore. We see it as our song. 
We see it. It's just a truth. It's just a truth. I'm not being negative. I'm just telling the truth. You want me to be a liar? You want me to be a Pollyanna? What are you trying to say? What I'm trying to say is just see it for what it is. I'm not saying change it. I'm just saying see it for what it is. And it takes courage to see it for what it is. It's the part we must discover. It's the part that's got to be erased. It's the part that's got to be recorded over. So these songs are recorded in us. The work said they were like recorded on a phonograph roll. Back then they had phonograph rolls and you could make a recording by though the wax actually the, the vibration would be actually impressed into wax and then it could be played back or it could be pressed into a vinyl and then played back but the work says that they're like skins so one is recorded and then another skin grows over that and another one's recorded and then a skin grows over that and another one's recorded and a skin grows over that and another one's recorded so you have this one little roll but it may be 30 or 40 or 50 or a thousand skins thick And so you've got a thousand recordings there. But the only one you're listening to is the outer recording. But the other ones are there and they affect you. And the work says you've got to find them all. Now, we panic and say, but I can't find them all. But the light can. So what it boils down to is let the light in. But I don't want to let the light in. People will see me. I will see me. People will see me. Yes, that may be true. As if people really cared as much about your life as you care about your life. And they don't because they're too busy caring about their own lives. Oh, they may gossip a little bit. Oh, did you hear what he did? But soon their own vanity and pride will take over again and they'll be all dreaming about themselves and forget all about you. How difficult it is to see when we're successful and self-assured. It's really hard if things are going well. You're in no greater danger than when things are going well. Think about the Bible and the Israelites. When they were being persecuted, they were crying out to God. Oh, God, help us. They were on their faces. They were in the temples. They were praying. They were obeying the laws that were laid down by Moses. But boy, when things got good, they forgot all about that. And that's when they were in danger. When things are good, we're in danger. Remember that and let some light in. So what is it that hinders us? Well, we're not conscious that we're singing to ourselves. I was in the kitchen the other day, and I was talking to myself. I started to laugh. I'm talking to myself. I said, yeah, I talk to myself all the time, which I do. I verbally speak to myself all the time. And I'm not talking internally. I'm not talking about it in my head. I'm actually literally talk to myself. Well, but that's crazy. No, it's not. It's what I do. And if it's crazy, then I'm crazy. So what? Then I'll accept that. But that's the truth, and that's the way it is, and I'm not going to run away from it, and I'm not going to pretend it isn't that way. I talk to myself, and sometimes I know it, and sometimes I don't. That's the truth, too. But we sing to ourselves, and we're not conscious of it. We don't know it. These sweet, self-indulgent songs drain us of force. They're like siren vampires moving in the shadows of our inner world. Every once in a while, I love my imagery, you know. The sirens, remember the sirens with uh, Ulysses? He wanted to hear the sirens, but he didn't want to be attracted to the rocks so that where the sirens were, so that his ship and his crew were all crashed on the rocks and he lost his crew and lost his own life. So he had his men tie him to the mast. They all put wax in their ears and then he didn't so that he could hear the sirens. And he instructed the men, no matter what I say, don't listen to me. Just keep on course. And so he heard them and they didn't. And it almost drove him mad. This is where we are. We have to have ourselves lashed to the mast. And we must face what it is that we must face. But we have to prepare ourselves to do it. Because this is what we have to see. We have to hear our own siren songs because those are the things that are draining us and killing us. And that's how we'll end up on the rocks, by listening to them, by not being conscious of the fact that we're listening to them. Our indulgence in self-pity, our indulgence in complaining, our indulgence in 
condemning, our indulgence in disliking, our indulgences in our love of being unhappy. Oh, and let's not forget the fine art of disagreement. All of these indulgences, all of these little songs, open veins in us. It's like cutting yourself. You open a vein and drip, drip, drip. So you don't really notice it, but it's draining away your life. This is the condition we find ourselves in. These things exist and have power over us because we are not properly conscious of them. To bring a thing into the light of consciousness is to rob it of its power. Now, what's happening is we are either robbing or we are being robbed. There's no in-between. You are either robbing or you are being robbed. You are either conscious of something mechanical in you and you have stopped it from robbing your power, from stealing your force, or you are unconscious of it and it is still sucking on you. It is still draining your life away. Do you have the patience to wait for the song to begin and then allow it, allow it to be sung without interfering with it, without judgment, without condemnation, then develop it because that's what you must do. You'll never learn the song unless you listen to it, unless you lash yourself to the mast, unless you listen to it, unless you pay the price. We think that when we observe something, it's done. Well, I've seen that. This is only the beginning. Full self-observation takes a lifetime. The light rays must be allowed total access to our inner world. And each time we choose to hide, we thicken our inner darkness and we strengthen evil. And evil is unconsciousness. That's my definition of evil, unconsciousness. No matter how painful it may be, we must allow the light rays to fall on us internally. Or we slip under the cover of darkness and we'll be drained of force until we are not. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.